0: This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kayabarum. You can visit us at I Thank you, just stay with me while I set up. <laughs> um, I want to apologise in advance for my voice. Um, it might sound a little bit husky today because I've just finished... At our church, we've just spent the last seven days, seven evenings, worshipping the Lord every night. And God's timing is not relevant to our timing and... It's been a few late ones, so bear with me. <laughs> I'm going to need this. Um, just, um, uh, the Lord just gave me a word when you were mentioning about that we're no longer slaves, Pastor, that um, in John 15, it says, uh, in John 15:15, 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my Father, I have also made known to you. We now live in a new era where we don't, are no longer considered slaves, we are set free in the name of Jesus. All right, well, I'm Catelyn, um, I am coming from Melbourne, um, and I have, cut, don't, please excuse my accent, I'm South Australian, don't hold that against me, um, I'm very delighted, can I just say, to show up here this morning and find Lauren Kaye, who I was born again with many, many moons ago in Bridge in the City, so hi Lauren, <laughs> I'm no longer nervous, excellent. Um, <laughs> Um, so I'm from Destiny Rescue, which is a charity that your church has actually partnered with us in the past. you have helped us to rescue many, many children. Uh, but what we do in a nutshell is that we rescue um, children from some of the darkest, most horrendous places on earth. We primarily work in Asia, uh, East Africa and Central America, uh, where there's a little couple of facts just to throw at you before I start getting into the word, is that um, the exploitation of children for, am just aware of little ears, so I won't use... The word, but the exploitation of children. It's a $99 billion industry. It's bigger than drugs, it's bigger than anything. It's the fastest growing illegal activity in the world. So, what we're doing, we're led by the Lord. We were founded by a, again, um, Queenslander, so don't hold that against us. Um, And he was in Thailand and he overheard a conversation from men at the table next to him talking about the 13 year old girl who was serving them drinks about what they had planned to do to her later. And he just heard the Lord say, You need to get this child out of here. And he just did. And that was 21 years ago. And now we are a uh, organization that has um, offices in America, in New Zealand, and here in Australia, where we are rescuing children, not just from Thailand, Philippines, all over East Asia, um, Southeast Asia, East Africa, and Central America. In fact, last year we rescued 2,000, what was it 2,700 from so 2,700 children, individuals, in just one year alone. Um, that led to 147 arrests. So we don't just rescue the kids; we actually um, help them to rehabilitate, to start a new journey with the Lord, introduce them to Jesus if they don't already know him, or introduce them to the Holy Spirit because they tend to not know him. Um, and, yeah, so that's who I am and where I'm from and what we do. It's amazing work. You've helped us all, um, immensely. But I was, I was, as I was praying this morning, um, uh, sorry, this yesterday, uh, about what to share with you, the Lord actually placed to talk about um, love, God, how God defines love. And uh, uh, in our church, we're a big fan of the hard copy, so I do encourage you, if you do have your Bibles, feel free to read along with me um, <laughs> because it's living, breathing, it is alive, and it can show you whatever. A search bar in your phone is useful for this breathes. So, um, yeah, so I have, we happen to read the King James Version quite a bit at our church, because obviously the theologians in the room will know that it's the closest trans- English translation to the original Greek of the New Testament. So I wanted to start with um, the first, firstly, what charity charity is defined by in by a Christian. It says, Google, Dr. Google said, the highest form of love signifying the reciprocal love between God and man that is made manifest in an unselfish love of one another. So to have charity means to love one another as Christ loved us. Um, in, um, yeah, I mentioned that, that love. So um, again, for the theologians, I love a little bit of theology in my, my sermons. So for the theologians out there, you'll know that the word love is translated from the Greek word agape. But in the New King James Version, quite often you'll actually see instead of the word love, it uses the word charity. For example, in the most famous um, particular a few verses on love, we all know, the wedding verse. In 1 Corinthians 134 4-8, in the King James Version, it says, Charity suffereth long. It is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity v- Sorry, which means boasts. It's not itself. It is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. It is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. So that's obviously describing God. God is love. God is those things. But um, I'm not going to lie. Love is hard. It means that love requires a certain amount of sacrifice. Can anybody remember what the most significant um, gesture of love in all history ever was? We should have learned about it last weekend. <laughs> it 's the cross, it is the ultimate act of love giving oneself for all people on earth that is what Jesus did for us so that so therefore, love is hard it's it's difficult, it requires a sacrifice. We all have people in our lives that are difficult to love, but the Lord says to love them, love one another so um i'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you because I just love the Word of God so um I hope, hope that's okay. Um, <laughs> so in Acts, I'm going to jump between New King James and NLT, but, but please follow along with what you have. Um, so uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 38, it says in the New King James, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, these are the same people that only a few days earlier had spat at Christ, who had thrown rocks at him as he dragged his cross. These are the same people who physically were there and not only allowed but encouraged the crucifixion. These are the people suddenly getting the revelation that they hatched the Messiah who they all were waiting for. If you know much about Jewish tradition, they genuinely believed that the Messiah was coming. And yet when he stood in front of them, they threw rocks at them. Most of those people had heard him speak on Mount Sinai. They knew what he could do, but they were submitted to the crowd. They were submitted to the Pharisees and they did these things to him. With the greatest greatest love in the entire universe in all history, said, all you need to do is turn from your sin and I will forgive you. That is the love of Christ, is if we repent. It's just incredible. But then it goes on later on in that same chapter from verse 44. It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone who had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, Breaking bread from from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The reason I included that is because after they were born again, after they understood who Christ was and they repented and they received the Holy Spirit, they had a revelation that they didn't need all that they had. If they had a lot, they would sell it, that their neighbor could also have what they needed. And they moved along as one accord. It says earlier, I think in the verse right before that, that was 3,000 people. But they had a desire to love one another, to be charitable of one another. They sought not to attain um, wealth. They sought to follow the Lord and have what he had to offer them through the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously being from Destiny Rescue, Lauren will tell you, I also have worked at World Vision. I've had the pleasure of traveling a lot of East Africa and seeing some of, the, some of these really dark places and seeing the plight and the resilience of the people who live there. But I've seen what it's like to live off the Holy Spirit we don't. We don't need to. Even even our poorest people still have access to support that someone in the village in Africa just simply doesn't have. And it doesn't cost them anything. It doesn't hurt them at all because they believe that the Lord will provide. They believe that their help comes from God. I would get into a car just to drive somewhere, and the first thing they do is pray before they turn the engine on. It was so foreign to me to have that much dependence on the Holy Spirit to provide for you that even if... They, all they had was you know, this small amount of food, but that mother had no food and she had three sons. That's okay, well, God will give us food. We're going to feed them. Just this, the, the mindset of, all right, well, I know that my God's going to give me what I require, but he has given me this. This is my gift, and he's telling me to give them back, and they just do it. So when the Lord tells you, I need you to take that thing I've given you, and I actually need you to give it to them, it reminds me of the widow I forget where it is actually, but it reminds me of the widow. Um, I think it's Elijah, isn't it? Yep, Lauren's giving me the nod. And all she had was enough oil and flour to make one loaf of bread for her and her son before they were going to die. And and Elijah said, the Lord says to give it to me. And they did, and she did. She sacrificed that, and the Lord then provided enough food and oil for her forever. She never hungered. She never thirsted. That's the kind of reliance that we need to have. The kind of love we have for one another is the kind of love that God has for us. But there's a consequence when we don't do that. And it goes on in Acts chapter 5. Excuse me while I drink again. <laughs> 5 verse 1 to 5. There's always a hard word, this particular one, but I'm not really afraid of a hard word, so I, I, I do, I do play that, pray that you are blessed if I offend. Um, <laughs> but a certain man named Ananias with Sepharia, I think is how you say her name, uh, his wife, sold a possession and they kept back a part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Have you not lied to men? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. I was saying that if you don't obey God when he says give to your fellow man that he's going to strike you down? <laughs> it's, not, it's not physical death we have to fear. It's spiritual death we have to fear. We don't need to, if, we, if we die tomorrow in the, in the obedience of God, then I'm going to heaven. I'm cool with that. If I don't make it back to Melbourne today, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm, I hope. I don't know where I'm going. I hope I know where I'm going. But, um, but if, I afford, if I can't afford to ignore the promptings of the Lord, and I'm not saying these promptings are fiscal. You don't need to give me your money. That's not why I'm here. <laughs> but the Lord places things on our hearts to give time, to give service, to give of the gifts that we already possess, the gifts, you know, in Galatians 5 that we possess. But we're nervous. We're worried about man. We fear man. We don't want to be judged or we don't do that here or, you know, that's not, you know, certain denominations have certain perceptions of what should and shouldn't be done. What does the Lord say? So to love one another is a requirement. It's a requirement of our faith to love one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The biggest kind of love. It's not physically possible through our flesh alone to love someone to that capacity. We actually we have to do it through God because our flesh is weak, only our spirit is strong. So it's, so I'm we're going to turn to um, John back a little bit, just a, just a tiny bit uh, into John 13 to start with. I just want to talk about the greatest commandment. I know Ainsley knows what the greatest commandment is. Ainsley's my lovely assistant from Ellen um, because I've taught her this profusely. <laughs> But the, does anyone else know what the greatest commandment is? Love, that's right. So in John 13, verse 34 to 35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will be not, will know all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So people will recognize us as Christians, as followers of Christ, because of the way we love people. It's not how good a person we are or how many gifts and wonders that we possess because, you know, the devil can give people gifts too. It's not by the works of your hands that people recognize Christ in you, but the love in your heart. And it's not easy to attain, but it's so vital. It is the greatest commandment. And in these two verses, he actually says to love one another three times. He really wanted the disciples to hear it, to know it, and it to be written down that we would remember it. And in only two chapters later, in my favorite chapter of the entire Bible at the moment, which is John 15, John 15:12 15, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's really hard to love someone as Christ loved, because Christ again gave himself up. In verse 17, a little bit lower, it says, These things I command you that you love one another. He really wants us to understand that we need to be able to love one another first. That's the most important part. And to love one another is an act of sacrifice. It costs you something. It does cost something to love. Some people are really easy to love. Some people, not so much. But we are required to love one another. Even our enemy, we must love. Now, love doesn't mean to give them all of yourself, though. There are boundaries that are important. But to love someone means not to condemn or curse them or even think of those thoughts and to just rebuke those things and give that person over to God. Faith is so important. Faith in God, knowing who he is, understanding everything we learnt last weekend, what the crucifixion meant, what the veil being torn meant, how Jesus' blood has washed us clean and how repentance sets us free. These are all really important things. But faith without good deed is dead. So in James, I'm going really fast. I do apologise. I might finish early. So if anyone has lunch plans a little bit earlier, it's going to be like that. Great view. It's so dry. Seven nights of singing. I don't recommend it. God's rule, it's okay. Uh, so in James chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food, clothing. What good does it do? So you see, by faith, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and it is useless. This is really tough because I work, obviously, in foreign aid. My entire life is about feeding the hungry and clothing the needy. But if I were to do it because I feel like I should or I'm required to or I read it in a book that told me I should, then all of those deeds fall flat on the floor. There's no fruit bore from it because I didn't do it out of love. I did it out of a religious requirement and expectation, and that is a challenge that we do face in our church in our history. Some some of you, I'm sure, have come from different faiths and backgrounds where you've had to deconstruct that same mindset but it's actually out of position of your heart that you do good works, not out of position of a religious requirement. It is in First John chapter three, in verse 17 and 18. If, anyone, if someone has enough money to live well, And sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. If someone has enough money to live well, I I kind of do technically qualify as that. And sometimes I really like shoes and like to purchase them. Fortunately, now, where am I spending my money? Where I am, am I investing the gift that the Lord gives me? On my feet. Does that save anybody? Does that rescue a soul? Does that show people the living God? I walk up to the Lord and go, I haven't seen you in so long. Look at my chest. I be so cute. He goes, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. I'll pray for you later. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love isn't an emotion. It, it's not an act. It's not, it's not a feeling. All the married people said yes. Love is a verb. It is a doing word. It requires work. It requires intent. It requires forethought. It requires consideration and prayerful consideration. It's not a feeling or emotion. I am not married, but I do teach women's ministry. And I I find myself saying this all the time because a girl will meet a boy and he will be really sweet and he will love the Lord and she just gets all the feels and that's great. That's good, we want the feels. But love isn't a a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's an action, because the feeling, the flatteriness, I know, I'm I'm seeing some of my elders in the room smile going, "Mm mm-hmm, and I can see all the husbands just not moving. It's okay, everyone knows it's a verb, we're all working hard at it, it's okay, it's supposed to be a, 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 it's ongoing. Love is a verb. So in order to love one another charitably, so if love is a verb, it's an action, it's also a sacrifice, so it's difficult. Again, all the husbands don't move. In order to give, whether it's fiscal, whether it's spiritual, whether it's from your gifts, whether it's from your time, it costs you something, it's difficult, and it requires intention. God's just going to prompt you and say, you need to pray for that person. but you're, You have to love that person enough to go, okay, I'm, I don't really know them, and I, I don't really want to offend them, but just do it. just Just go. I remember Lauren, when I met Lauren, I was a baby Christian, an infant Christian. I was 25. I knew the Lord five minutes, eight months. And I was interning at this church And in youth. And the pastor said, Okay, all the youth leaders, I want you to pray for the children. And I was like, God bless you. And I would slowly make my way back. This one, she was like, Jesus is telling me that. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to puff you up. I just love you. It requires, you need to do it from a cheerful position. It's not always easy. It is a sacrifice. It's hard. It's not It's not. It's not even necessarily what's in your best interest. Most often it's not. But you need to do it from a cheerful position because, again, if you go, okay, I'm just going to pray for that kid. She's been really annoying me, but I'll, I'll pray for anyone. Um, God just says that you're awesome and that he's going to bless you. Okay, Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. That doesn't bless her. That doesn't bless that child because I'm doing it because I feel the Lord's Lord prompting, but I don't really mean it. My love it in that prayer. But also I'm teaching that person that's acceptable. That's teaching them how to love, and they will then teach someone else how to love. In 2 Corinthians, this is something from my World Vision days, we use this all the time. So I don't love this first, but it's so relevant. And the Lord just said, you have to share it. I don't care if you don't like it. And it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, They have an abundance for every good work. That's how people live in Africa. They give because they feel that they should. They don't do it because they need to. In fact, often they can't. I'm not talking about all Africans because let's not paint everyone with the same colour and say they all look the same and they all do the same because they don't. Not all South Australians speak as eloquent as I do. We're not all the same. We do. (laughs) But to be able to give as a cheerful giver, not out of necessity, you know, we don't, we don't teach um, giving at our church. We don't actually, we don't do an offering. We just feel not to. We just, we just feel it on our heart not to do the offering. So I can feel my pastors mm, going, what are you doing? Don't talk about money. But we need to be prepared to give from a, a non-grudgingly and not at a necessity. You don't tithe. You don't put money in that grave bucket because the pastor says, it says in the word that 10% should go in here. You do it because this is your house. This is where you're fed. This is where the Lord speaks to you. This is how, where you've been planted. This is where you do life group. This is where you've met your, your husbands, your wives, your, your son-in-law's laws, your daughters-in-law's. Your grandchildren have been born in this place. Your grandchildren have been, um, what's it called, dedicated in this house. This is your home. This is where the Lord has planted you. That's why you put in the gray bucket. And I'll tell you right now, um, with the consent of, of my CEO, don't put in the blue bucket if the Lord doesn't say to we want you to give because you feel it on your heart that you're passionate about the work we do because the Lord has put children and the rescuing of children specifically on your heart. But if your calling is to help the homeless or to help um, First Nations, that's what you give. You give to there. Don't do it out of necessity. Don't do it because I'm here speaking. Do it because that's what your heart says to do. The, the Lord actually says in Exodus uh, 25, we're going all the way to the very, very beginning of this really big book, Twenty five verse one and two. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my uh, um, you shall take my offering. So even back then with Moses, the Lord said, It's a cheerful heart. You need to be giving it willingly. I don't want your leftovers, I don't want your um, expectation, I want what your heart, what what I place on your heart, I want you to act in obedience. I want to receive your obedience, not your money. Because God doesn't need money. God created money. He created his entire universe. He is a provider. He doesn't need money. He, he's the one that provides. So it must be of God, not of self. And I'm just going to step away from money for a second because I don't like talking about it. <laughs> Even though it's my job. I don't like talking about it. I want to talk about gifts. So in Genesis 41:16, Genesis, yeah, it's 41. Uh, that's the story of Joseph. We've all heard the story of Joseph, so I'm not going to go and tell the whole story of Joseph. But I was reading it, and I was praying about what to share in the Lord, and I thought, I always like to have Old Testament when I preach, but I have old and new. And I was like, Lord, what, what, what do I preach on in regards to Old Testament and in regards to giving and, and love? And, and he said, the story of Joseph. And I'm like, well, that's the story of hope. That's mountain highs, mountain lows, mountain highs again. What's that got, got to do with it? And then he gave me this scripture, verse 16, and it says, so Joseph answered Pharaoh. So this is after Pharaoh has called him from the prison. He hasn't told him the dream. He's just said, hey, dude, I've heard you can interpret dreams. I'd love to hear what you think. And Joseph says, it's not me, but God who will give Pharaoh peace, Answer an answer of peace. So he straight away from the very get-go, he said, I'm not giving this to you. God's giving it to you. And that's what we need to do when we pray for someone, when we prophesy. If you have a gift of prophecy or whatever it is that you have a gift of and the Lord says, I need to have a prophecy for that person, you need to... When someone says, oh, thank you so much, that probably, not like, oh, God, that was from the, from the Lord, you pray. You pray and ask for confirmation. Because it's not me. People don't, even when people say, oh, Catelyn, that prayer you did, that was really, really meaningful. Donna Ainsley, I'm like, oh. no, see, I worship lead. Girls, amazing. This morning, amazing. I'm, I worship lead at our church. And it's tough. Especially, our sound equipment does not, was completely palsy in comparison to yours. It's amazing, guys. You've no idea how blessed you are. <laughs> But sometimes I'm sitting there, especially after seven nights, I'm sitting there and I know they can't hear me. And I know the next song, I'm the lead. And I know the audience can't hear me and I, and I just have to submit my flesh and go, okay, whatever, Lord, I'm going to worship you from this position and if they hear me, praise the Lord, if they don't. There are words there. But people come up to me and go, oh, Catelyn, you sing so beautifully. You sing so well. I really loved your voice. I'm like, oh. thank you. I receive your encouragement, but God wasn't me it was God and when I do sing well I get a little bit nervous because I'm like okay I'm an act, I'm an acting background so I might start singing in my flesh and I'm like, oh, I don't I don't I don't like it because it's not my gift it's God's everything we need we do needs to be from a position of God getting the glory not man getting the glory so if charity is love Jesus who, who we'll talk more about Moses Moses obviously is the author if you don't know is the author of um Deuteronomy and even there the Lord actually had Moses share this in uh, Deuteronomy 24, my mouth is so dry, my goodness. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, sets, I'm going to give you a bit of a history lesson, I'm sorry. When you reap your harvest in, the field, in your field and, you, uh, and forget a sheaf in the field, which is maybe a corner or a section when you're harvesting, um, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for a stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over it and the browers again. You will not beat them again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather grapes from your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. So what that is, I love all the agriculture references in the word of God because I grew up in the Barossa Valley, where the vineyards are. And when you glean a vineyard, for example, you collect all the grapes, if the word of God, the very word of God says if you have the ability to harvest any form of food in your calling where God's positioned you, and you miss a spot, that's God's spot. You're not. That's not your portion. That is for the widows, that is for the fatherless, that is for the stranger. And if you know the story of Ruth, you'll know that she came... Bethlehem as a Moabite she was not welcome there she was a stranger she was an alien and in order for her to feed Naomi and herself she had to go into the fields and glean what was dropped she had to glean that bit that, that, that Moses had commanded be let and that's how she fed herself and that's how she fed Naomi and it's how she met her husband so it goes give <laughs> it's important That we leave a leftover. The Lord has always, since the beginning of time, he's always emphasised the importance that we leave something left. And that's not even talking about the type. That's not talking about the percentage that you need to sow into the house of God. That's that's more. That's the other leftover bit. So not for your shoes, where I spend it. I will also give it it away, but I like shoes. (laughs) As I said, it may not be about money. It may not be a fiscal giving, a fiscal love. It might be a gift. For Joseph, it wasn't money. His, his gift wasn't money. His gift from the very, very beginning of his story was that he had the ability to interpret dreams. It's why his brothers hated him. Well, his pride is why his brothers hated him. That his pride in showing it, look, look who I am, I'm going to rule you. That's why they hated him. But it's also what saved him. It was his gift to offer. Now, when he gave it to his brothers, did he do it out of love? I wouldn't say so. And what was the cost of giving his gift away? Not out of love, out of pride. I I work for a charity, so I don't have a lot of money. That's that's just the reality. So I don't go away and give it, here, have this. But but when I do, I do it intentionally. When I walk past a homeless person in the street, because I live in Melbourne. We've all been to Melbourne. We know what it's like. I walk past a homeless person. My mindset for years was, I'm not going to give that man a money because I I know he's just going to spend it on drugs or alcohol. I just, He just is. He is drunk. I'm not going to do that. And the Lord said to me one day as I was walking, he goes, I don't care where he spends it. I've commanded you to give him and I'm like, oh, oh, and I had to sheepishly walk back and give him the money in my pocket. And now when I go somewhere and I see need, because if you start thinking from that mindset, you position your heart to offer what I have is yours, not mine. When you do see need, instead of going judging that person for their circumstance, God, you open yourself up to receive the word of God, which is give or not, and you do or you don't. But you do it in the will of God, not in the will of yourself. So you, don't, you do it as a cheerful giver, and as Joseph did it, in the end, and as it says, what you sow, you will reap. When you sow a little, you will reap a little. When you sow bountifully, you will reap a lot. When he sowed pride, he received imprisonment. When he sowed generosity, he received the highest position in all the land of Egypt. In Acts 3, I'm almost done. In Acts um, chapter 3, verse 6, Peter says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You give that love, that charitable offering that we have, it doesn't necessarily mean money. It's the gift that the Lord has bestowed upon you. A cheerful giver means I don't have anything. Silver and gold I don't have, have, but I have something way better. I have Christ. I'll just leave you with this scripture, without love, we are nothing. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 1 to 2, in the New Living Translation. It says, if I, could, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels that didn't love others, I would only be a, noise, a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could literally move mountains that I did not love others, I would be Nothing. And that's the reality. If we we can have all the information, we can have all the intellect, you can know this book back to front, inside out, upside down, but if you do not have love, this book and the words you speak from it are clanging symbols. Love covers a multitude of sin. I always say it doesn't cover all sin. It doesn't cover known sin. Now you know. Now you know what it means to love, to give generously. So love will only cover unknown sin. (laughs) So when you're walking up the street, Or someone calls you and tells you of your need. Or you hear of someone who's struggling but's not telling anybody and you maybe don't have a lot of capacity but you have some. Don't tell them. Don't even need to let them know. Slip an envelope in their pocket. Help them. If the Lord gives you a prophecy for somebody but you're worried about how they might interpret it, just do it. And praise the Lord, leave it to him. I encourage you to love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabrum.com.